Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, Disability And, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, founding editor of Disability Arts Online, Colin Hambrook, chats with artist and writer Letty McHugh, who is currently an associate artist with Disability Arts Online. Letty talks about her Disability Arts Online project, The Book of Hours, and her thinking around art as a way of creating meaningful connections. Hi, I'm Colin Hambrook, editor of Disability Arts Online, and I'm really pleased to be talking to Letty McHugh, who's one of Disability Arts Online's associate artists. And um, Letty, I think you took up your associateship with us at the beginning of 2020? Uh, I think it was March 2020, just as the world fell apart. Do you, do you want to introduce yourself and 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 say a bit about your practice? Sure. Uh, so I'm Letty. I'm an artist and writer based in Haworth, West Yorkshire. Um, my practice is about using art to find connection and exploring questions of value and which stories that we should be valuing. And the the um, the project that you've been working on with Disability Arts Online. Uh, it's called The Book of Hours, um, which is a reference, of course, to uh, the medieval books of hours. Um, can you say, say a bit about where your interest in, in that area of art history came from? The, the original idea for the Project Book of Hours came about in April of 2020 when I had an MS relapse and uh, had a really severe bout of photophobia. So I was sort of uh, alone in a darkened room for two or three weeks and in that time had the thought I wish I had a book of hours the way that I understood what a book of hours was at the time was a sort of guidebook that told you what to think about for every hour of the day um, from the little bit that I knew about them before uh, probably partially comes from my catholic upbringing you know book of hours is still a thing in the church um, but I was particularly interested, I've always been interested in medieval history, just as a sort of enthusiastic amateur, um, and the image of those beautiful medieval books with like the really rich, illuminated pages. Uh, it was really sort of focusing on that image that got me through a particularly difficult afternoon, because I didn't really want to, like a prayer book, I didn't want to, you know, think about how to dedicate my suffering to God so it was sort of laid in that room thinking about well if I was going to make a book of hours that was more appropriate to me as a sort of queer disabled woman in the 21st century um what would it what would it have in it and I sort of imagined it and kind of filled it with images that were helpful to me on that afternoon so thinking about like the lavender in my front yard and sort of the peace I feel when I smell it and and my family and then when I recovered, um, I sort of came out of it with this idea that 
that felt like such an important thing. And it felt like this is what I want to make is something that can bring connection and solace to people who are experiencing that moment of isolation. Uh, I think I wanted to make art for me what um, religion was for a first century monk, that kind of thing that I could dedicate myself to. Yeah, that's where the idea first came from. I was very moved in in one of your your previous projects, Seaworthy Vessel, um, that was how you, you used a simple process of creating an origami boat as a way of helping people to value and honour themselves and the memories or memories of other people. And um, I, I, um, I, I kind of, the, the sense of value of your approach to questions about value was, was really, um, really apparent through that um, kind of, there's a kind of deep sense of, of um, resonance there. And um, in, in, in one of our previous conversations, uh, you mentioned a quote from Agnes Martin. Um, My paintings are not about what they seem, but about how they make you feel. Um, how do those kinds of ideas resonate with, with the Book of Hours? I have a collection of quotes that are about, uh, kind of encapsulate what I feel is my own approach to art making, which is that it's not really about the thing you're looking at. It's about the connection it creates and exchange of ideas. Like that's what the actual art is. So I came across that quote by Agnes Martin and added it to my notebook of um, pertinent quotes, because I do think that that is the important thing when we make art. It's the exchange of feelings and the fact that you can communicate without using words and sort of across, you know, across time, across generations. If you're encountering a painting, you can be communicating with somebody that's been dead for 500 years. And that's what I really love about art. That's the sort of approach that that's inherent to my practice um, and, and kind of spans my projects is that I think always this search for connection um, and and the desire to create value um, and to share stories. And then Agnes Martin as a person became extra relevant to my Book of Hours project as I, I decided to do a bit of research about her because one always worries about quoting somebody when you don't know who they were. I was worried that I might find out, you know, that she was a fascist or something. <laughs> um, so as I started researching her, she lived this really fascinating life. She had a successful career in New York and disappeared from New York into the New Mexican desert um, and literally built herself a wooden hut with a chainsaw uh, and lived a life of isolation and started making art and it just felt like such one of the parallels that I was looking for of this link between people who sought out isolation like in the early Christian period uh, I'd started looking at through Book of Hours started looking at figures like St Cuthbert who isolated himself on Lindisfarne I think partially because 
that's something I have a fantasy of doing. Um, this idea of like making art in a hut on a beach somewhere. Um, and then that's what Agnes Martin, you know, that's what she did. Um, but obviously, like all these things, it, it her true life was a lot more complicated. Um, and we can kind of idealise that. But she was somebody who struggled with mental illness and she was somebody who suffered a lot through the choices. You know, it is a hard thing to do. Um, And that kind of was one of the important things that started me questioning, I think, one of the major themes of Book of Hours, which is of how can we kind of honour the suffering? Suffering is one of the universal things of the human experience. Um, how can we kind of make space for that uh, in art and in our lives to sort of recover from that suffering, but without doing the thing that I think a lot of people do throughout history of creating suffering for ourselves because we think it's going to make us better artists or better people. Did you get a sense in your research around Agnes Martin of of um, what what? took her to that point and and why she made that choice I'm, I'm I mean I'm not an expert but I believe from what I read that she was uh perhaps schizophrenic she heard voices which again is a thing that you can really relate to those early people you know early Christian people who heard voices that they attributed to, to God or to saints she heard voices telling her like to restrict her diet and telling her to isolate herself and each one of those quite interesting things of if those early Christian people were here today a lot of them probably would have diagnosable mental illnesses whether that's schizophrenia or OCD my thinking was like I romanticized that when I first read about it I romanticized that idea of isolating yourself but then when you actually look into it I think it's quite an unhealthy thing to romanticize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have, I have a lot of kind of strong feelings about the whole kind of romanticization of of mental illness and um, how how non disabled world kind of uses uses those tropes um, as as a way of of kind of idealizing um, certain aspects of 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 human consciousness um and uh yeah i think i think it can be very very unhelpful to say the least but but you as part of your research more recently you you went to lindy's farm didn't you and and kind of uh explored that idea a, a bit more closely what how, how was that I took myself off to uh, the Northumbrian coast. Um, and I think the idea was essentially to call myself out on the idea that if I did live a life where I was next to the sea and wrote at set times of the day and all that kind of thing, uh, A, that I would be like happy or not necessarily even happy, but like calm and dedicated to my art uh, and be that I would be very productive so I went and I sort of tried to write eight times a day at what would have been prayer times 
And of course, when I got there, I didn't do those things. <laughs> and I didn't live like a simple life. And I did still put off writing and watch the real harsh version of Beverly Hills and eat ice cream and all those sorts of things. Um, but it was actually a really important experience because when I was there, I found out more about the lives of the people that I was researching. And of course, found out that idea that I had in my head of how they lived, particularly that idea that um, I think I'd spent kind of a year chasing after that. Uh, it wasn't a vision, but if, you know, if this was a, a romantic story, then I had that vision of um, living by the sea and dedicating myself to art to get myself through that afternoon. And then of course I got there and I found out that uh, the monks of Lindisfarne were kind of living it up. They, you know, they had a really rich farmland and they had like these exquisite, like blue glass chess sets have recently been unearthed that they'd been trading with Vikings. I mean, that's why Cuthbert went to a, a more isolated island because he was like, well, it's all getting a bit decadent over here on Lindisfarne, lads. And that's why the Vikings raided them because, you know, it was a rich place. And I think that was a really important thing for me and for the project to, to like realize the extent to which the idea that I had about the human capacity to seek out isolation and for that to be like a really important creative thing. Um, not only like people like Agnes Martin, who are more modern doing it, is a lot more complicated, but also the people who were doing it in the year 500 weren't doing it how I imagined it. I, I think in a way, every project that I go on becomes like a journey, like a journey for me. Um, so like with Seaworthy Wrestle, it it started out where I was questioning whether I would be seaworthy. And I went on this whole journey and I was like, ah, everybody's seaworthy. Like we should celebrate our own value. And with Book of Hours, it's been more like I started out I think like, how can I turn my suffering into art and how can I dedicate it for a cause? And how can I be, when faced with isolation, have the grace of like, um, you know, some spiritual figure that I imagine being really gracious and not having pain from isolation. But then kind of a lesson I've learned is like, well, of course those things are hard because humans are built to connect with each other and humans are where it's equally part of our nature to have a nice time when it's available to us. So that's what going to Lindisfarne, I think, kind of really crystallised for me. And also just the idea that when we look at great artists and we say like, oh, well, the, the universal thing about all those people is that they had great suffering. Uh, and that's such an oversimplification because it's like, well, actually the universal thing about all humans is that we've all suffered. It's just that artists make that into art and the, you know the rest of us just get on with it and the, there's um a kind of a sense underneath all, all of this work of, of about which is about valuing genuine connection with, with yourself and, and with others and um talking about that as a radical act um at, at, you know, especially considering the ways in which we're conditioned. How does the idea of creating 
watch times within the book of hours relate to this idea of genuine connection and what for you is a, a moment of genuine connection that thing of uh connection being a radical thing has been in my practice for a long time because i've been very influenced by situationism and the idea that um the idea that i've taken situation from situation into my work is the idea that we live in a society that's designed to distract us from ourselves and to find ways of connecting with ourselves or genuinely connecting with other people it's a radical thing and I think when I started researching into the book of hours one of the things that appealed to me was that they had watch times throughout the day so they had um different prayer cycles for every day of the year based on different watch times. And I saw saw the prayer through that as a way of, you know, creating a moment of reflection and creating a moment to connect with yourself or to try and connect with, I'm going to say the universe, but maybe some people might call it like a universal unconsciousness. And I thought, how would I recreate that? Because I'm not going to say the rosary eight times a day. So for me, I thought, well, the way that I connect with myself is to write. I started setting watch times for myself where I would write for a short amount of time, a certain number of times a day. And I found it really difficult. So a big misunderstanding that I had at the start of the project was the idea of the 24 hour clock. So understanding a book of hours as telling you what to do 24 hours a day. But of course the period when those books were most popular, they didn't really have a 24 hour clock in the way that we have a 24 hour clock. Um, And everything was a lot looser in a way that suits me a lot better. So um, like the title of the early morning watch time translates as at first bird song. So rather than it being like necessarily exactly at 5 a.m., it's like when you, you know, first light, when you first hear a bird. And also there's this great stuff about certain prayers that you're supposed to say in a literal translation for the entire night. But because people aren't very good at that kind of thing, they have like this whole system of substitutions. So if you say it for like an hour, you can kind of count it as the entire night. So that allowed me to be a lot freer with the watch times I was creating for myself. Um, And then I started coming up with like more playful titles for like my modern watch times. So it'd be stuff like immediately after a way too early Zoom call watch or like after first sip of coffee that kind of thing. I did all sorts of stuff like I would write based on the certain days in the moon cycle um, and having that bit of the universe being in charge of when I was writing was quite freeing and having it not be quite as literal. And some really interesting work came out of like just making myself write at random times of the day, letting go of it a bit and connecting with myself and, and the world around me through writing. It's very poetic process and, and uh application and um i'm 
I'm, I'm guessing a lot of poetry has come out through through this um, setting those 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 watch times. Yeah, it's been really interesting actually because I haven't written poetry since I was 18, so quite a long time ago. I'm 30 now, just for anyone. And in the book of hours, I've written quite a lot of poetry. I actually put a developing your creative practice bid in through the arts council to work with some poetry mentors. So one of the things that has come out of this process is that it's sort of made me into a poet. Fantastic. And, and um, it it's going to be an actual book, isn't it? Yes. This is where I say confident statements. Um, but yes, there is a collection of writing that's in process and it is going to be an actual physical book. It's going to be quite a different book to what I imagined when you and I first had a conversation uh, in 2020 about this idea that I'd had. Um, and I think it's going to be a book that weaves sort of the story of the last 18 months together with um, some of the poetry that I've been writing uh, and yeah, we'll be putting that together into a printed book. Going back a bit to um, some of our, our other conversations th through this process, that there, there's been you, you've talked quite a lot about um, art theory and your relationship to art theory, and through the development of the Book of Hours, we've talked a fair bit about debunking art theory and taking what's useful and not getting too hung up on the rest. Um, do you want to say something about some of the references that you've found useful in this research in, term, in terms of its relationship to art theory? It's quite interesting that you use the word debunking um, because I think my relationship with art theory is that I love it, but I don't love the sort of gatekeeper-y elitist that can surround it. And I think there's a lot of people who would like to keep people away from art theory. Most of my art theory is kind of self-taught. I've learned it through books and just what I'm enthusiastic about, just what makes me interested. Uh, sometimes it can feel a bit like people who have a more traditional approach to it and know the name of every philosopher that's ever lived can be a bit sniffy towards people like me who've just sort of picked it up through enthusiasm. Um, and I think if I'm trying to debunk anything, it's that, it's the idea that, you know, you should just be into art theory because it's interesting to you and because it's useful. And I do find it really useful in my creative practice. And I think a big part of that is just that somebody else has already done all that hard thinking for you. And then you can kind of build on that. As I mentioned earlier, one of the major theories that has influenced my practice is situationism. And the idea that is put out by Guy Debord in the Society of the Spectacle is that in a capitalistic society, we're surrounded all the time by spectacle that's designed to distract us from ourselves and each other. And his kind of proposition was that we needed to do a revolution and I think at the end he sort of says have a society where we kind of 
indulge in complete freedom and the pleasures of the flesh or something like that, like the sensuous pleasures of existence, which I've always kind of envisioned just everybody just kind of like laying about on chaise lounges. <laughs> and that's like, for me, I don't think practical, to be honest, go to board. I don't necessarily know how well that would work. Um, so that's like when I say about keeping what's useful. So to me, it's useful, that question of how do you create new meaning, new thought in a society where we're so constantly bombarded by spectacle and new information? How do you create a moment of connection? But then leaving the other stuff that I don't think is particularly useful to me as an artist, at least. You can just pick and choose. And that that idea of connection is really important to this particular project. The idea of connection was very kind of um, simple and straightforward in the Seaworthy Vessel project where you had this very poetic way of visually representing your relationship to yourself or, 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 or to, to loved ones. And it's become a lot more sophisticated, I think, through the Book of Hours project. The, the, the kind of the thinking has been much more uh, almost academic in, in, in researching how, how this idea of, of a genuine connection relates to art theory and to situationism. Um, and I guess within situationism, it's very much about context and, and valuing the context in which the art is made and how that connects with your audience. Is, is that kind of how you see it? My approach is sort of twofold. So I, I spend all this time doing all this reading because it's interesting to me and um, I really value, like I said, like the questions that art theory can help us to ask that are maybe more sophisticated questions than I would have just come up with on my own. But then I think a lot of the time when I'm making the actual art, it's like my brain is going to make what it's going to make. So like the theory doesn't always completely translate into the finished work, but I do think that thinking of how you communicate ideas is always there. Like the idea of co-oping the spectacle is sort of implanted into my brain when I was very young and I think always comes out. That's why I always end up making large-scale installation work. So like with Seaworthy Vessel, I made a thousand paper boats and when they're all together, it, you know, it's a spectacle and it's kind of, that's the point is that a, a spectacle on that scale makes you stop and think. It's quite interesting because Seaworthy Vessel, even though I kind of only officially worked on it for sort of 2019 and the first couple of months of 2020, because of when I first had the idea and kind of the nature of my illness and and uh, sort of the career gap that I was having at that time, I'd actually been thinking about the project for about three years before I got the chance to make it happen. Even before I started talking about it in public, I already had quite a clear idea with Seaworthy Vessel that uh, metaphor is really important in my work um, and that that was the metaphor 
was that these handmade boats coming together onto a large scale and kind of what it would symbolize about a lot of the projects about uh, my connection to my great grandfather who was injured in the merchant navy and he became disabled because his hands were crushed and then I couldn't work because my MS affected my hands so the idea of like hand making all these boats and what that would mean was already quite quite clear whereas with book of hours I had been thinking about it for like 10 days before we had our first conversation about it I think that's the more intellectual part for me is kind of figuring out finding what the metaphor is going to be well I think it is because I'm always learning and evolving as an artist and a person and I think it's a more it's kind of a more complicated subject matter this idea of like how can you connect with yourself how can you make space to kind of explore your suffering through art without becoming a sort of person where you're making yourself suffer for your art is kind of a more complicated idea. Um, But I hope that by the time the project's finished, it it will feel as straightforward as See Where the Vessel does, that the job of communicating all these complicated ideas will become straightforward and won't feel as intellectualized. And uh, sense sense of place is very important to you in all of this as well, um, and the, the 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 northeast, that history of the anchorites in the northeast. Um, I, I can almost kind of feel that as you were talking about that 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 moment at the beginning of lockdown, and and you know, sort of taking on this this sense of being a, a, an anchorite um, w- was a kind of a, a, an initial kind of impulse, an, an initial thought that, that kind of has kind of generated a lot of this research. And, and um, yeah, so could, could, you, could you say something about the sense of place and the importance of... of of uh, being in the northeast and and the an- an- north the north anchorites in the northeast that you've been researching. The northeast is like such a beautiful and fascinating place, um, and I'd I'd love to say that it was like it became important in my work for like intellectual reasons. But the truth is that it's just I've been going on holiday to the northeast my entire life. I think making art is a bit like making a jigsaw puzzle out of all your weird life experiences and kind of putting them together to make uh, a picture. <laughs> that that was the frame of reference that I had when at the start of lockdown, I was having an MS relapse and it was really difficult. I'd had the experience of going to Lindisfarne several times on family holidays and feeling really at peace there. So that's what my brain grabbed onto in that moment was that image there's these famous sheds on the farm that are made out of wooden fishing boats turned upside down so that the the hull of the boat becomes the roof of the shed um so in lockdown i sort of pictured living in one of those on the coast of of the 
the sea is a common theme in my work, I think, because I love the sea. And then I spend a lot of time thinking about it. So I have all these thoughts about how it's like the perfect metaphor for the human condition. And it's the same thing. It was like, that's where I imagined being peaceful. And then as I sort of came out of that moment and, and I think really sort of tried to understand why, why is that why I imagined I've always been really interested in St. Cuthbert and the idea that he was on Lindisfarne, which is like one of the most isolated places I've ever been to. And he was like, this is not enough. And went off onto another island to be entirely alone. Like I've always been really interested in that. And I've kind of imagined myself into that scenario in two ways. So one is like, imagining it as a writer it being the kind of thing that I would do and be like I need to go to an entirely remote island to write and the other is imagining it as the kind of person who is so chatty that I would drive somebody <laughs> to go and live on to a completely isolated island and then like the northeast has such a fascinating history because you know of all the the kind of Saxon activity that went on there like the early Christian activity there were flipping loads of hermits in that part of the world um I researched this really interesting woman whose name I don't really know how to pronounce but I'm going to go for St Hugh who founded Hartlepool Abbey and she was followed this teaching of um hermitage and I found a prayer to her that I was really interested in where people would pray to her inviting suffering so that they could sort of achieve spiritual enlightenment or as we would maybe call it or like be closer to God and that was also really important to the project because I started doing that thing of like that's so weird why would you invite suffering but then it became the comparison I think we still do that I think we still do that as artists I think we still do it you know no pain no gain no spiritual growth without suffering. Like, I think that is an idea that we still have. I'm just fascinated by people who decide to brick themselves up in a cell because why would you do that? But then again, as you research it, all sorts of stuff comes out like that you had like a special hatch and people brought you like quite nice meals three times a day. Uh, there was a program on Radio 4 uh, earlier in the year called, I think called The History of isolation and on that they talked about um three anchoresses so like three nuns who bricked themselves up but they put their cells so that they could chat to each other all day and they had a cat that they shared between the three cells so again it's the same thing of like turns out it's not how you imagine it but yeah I think the northeast comes out in my work both because it's kind of indirectly where my family comes from um, and because it's like it's just so beautiful and it has such a fascinating history and I have a vague knowledge of it from going to a lot of English heritage properties there over the years. I'd, I'd, I'd really fascinated to see how all of this actually comes together and comes out into a piece of artwork because I think I'm you're 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 kind of picturing um producing a, a poetry book but also this is going to be an an installation 
um, and and possibly a, a, a performance or performance is is kind of involved in some way as well, isn't that? Yes. Um, so it's it's kind of an irony of this project that it started out with the idea of it being entirely online um, because that is what is accessible to me when uh, I'm unwell, but also because I have this long-standing frustration with making large-scale installations and then not being able to find anywhere to to show them, to get photographs of them, uh, like see where they wrestle. I've made a thousand paper boats. I've never seen them all out at once. Um, so I was definitely like off the large scale installation bandwagon. And then I had this idea for Book of Hours to make my own version of one of those boat sheds at Lindisfarne. And it was just too good not to do it. I just I just liked it too much. So I'm very fortunate now to be a studio holder at Keithy Creative in my hometown. And we have a, a big project space. Uh, so I've got that booked out in October. And I'm going to be making a textile installation. And the idea is to create a version of what I envisaged as the perfect space to be chronically ill in. But the idea of it is also that it kind of challenges the idea of whether or not that could ever actually exist. Um, And hopefully it will be quite a good visual metaphor. Um, It's going to be, it's going to have sort of text embroidered on it. Quite excited about it. And then, yeah, I think, I think talking, (laughs) I say talking instead of performance because the word performance frightens me a little bit and talking does not. There's definitely going to be a video aspect to the project and I'm going to be kind of doing a voiceover to the film work. And I think it'd be really interesting to get something together where there's top of the films um, and potentially even the installation can be up. And I can kind of, like an early Christian, sort of traveling, taking the word to the people, tell the story of this artistic journey that I've been on and kind of the lessons that I've tried to learn over the last year or so. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. I, 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 um, I can't wait for it to happen. Um, the plan is for Keith Lee Creatives to, to host this work. Um, early next year is that right yes we are in talks about exactly how it's gonna work in practicalities unfortunately you know practicalities do exist we can't just imagine things as i would like to do um so hopefully as the sort of last hurrah of my associateship with thou we will be having this um amazing event at keithy creative that will kind of bring various different aspects of the project together and the print book will be there and I'll give a talk and uh, it'll be excellent. And we don't know when it is yet, but when it happens, you should come. Definitely. I really look forward to it. It'd be um, a a really good reason to come up to Keithley and and, uh, really, really, really enjoy that. Um, Sometime in spring 
too, isn't it? I think. Yes. That's the plan. Great. That, that's 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 brilliant, Letty. It's been really fabulous talking to you as always. Kind of you kind of set uh, my mind off at all different tangents, and uh, it's it's very. Um, I, I love the depth and the and the breadth of of your kind of thought processes and where where your art making takes you. So uh, yeah, deeply impressive. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. Lovely to chat as always. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.